The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Yeah, we're going to spend some time in God's Word. We have two scripture readings today. Our first one is from Ephesians 3, starting at verse 20. Uh, if you've got a Bible, you can open up there. If you have our app, you just click read, and it'll open it up to this reading today, Ephesians 3, verse 20. Uh, and it says this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. It's God's word for us today. Uh, and we have a second reading from the Gospel of Luke, but it is going to be in video form. Uh, so I'm going to encourage you to turn your eyes to the screen. That night, there were shepherds staying in their fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior. Yes, the Messiah. Christus der Herr. Su Salvador, que es Cristo Jesús. Chowan Sosigul. Orabe ase avantavonsi. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find the baby. Wrapped snugly. In strips of cloth. Lying in a manger. Suddenly. The angel was joined by a vast host of others. The armies of heaven. Praising God and saying. Glory to God in the highest heaven. And peace on earth. To those with whom God is pleased. To those with whom God is pleased. Well, as we spend a, a few minutes here... Uh, unpacking God's Word. Uh, I want to open up with a question that I want you to talk about with folks near you, all right? So uh, here's the question. Uh, what is your favorite part of the Christmas season? All right, so real quick, folks near you, answer that question. Like 30 seconds, go. All right, let's uh, circle it back. Uh, so I'm sure I can't possibly know what all of you said, what all you shared, but let's just uh, real quick, I'm gonna, I, I got a few guesses. I can imagine about a, a few of these things. So first of all, uh, how many of you said it was, it was time with family? You can sh show hands. All right. Very good. Need a little bit more of that. All right. We'll talk about that later. All right. Uh, how many of you said it was uh, time away from work slash school? Anyone? All right. There you go, Jack. All right. Very good. Uh, how many of you, it was, it was food? Like you love the food at Christmas time? Awesome. All right. Very good. Awesome. Well, cool, cool. And uh, man, I, I love all those things. I love the joy and the laughter of the season, and, and, and that's great that we have that. Um, and those are some of my favorite parts of the season, too. But, but I want to start us off by, by recognizing that sometimes around Christmas time, even as great as all that stuff is, and it is, even as great as all that stuff is, I think sometimes we settle for too little. Sometimes during the Christmas season, we settle for too little because what we tend to do is we tend to, to sentimentalize this. This, this season, this holiday tends to just be sort of sentimentalized and nostalgic and, and just sort of that. We miss out. We miss out on the God who our Ephesians text says does more than we can imagine. We miss out on the God who does more than we can ask or imagine. So I want to encourage each of you here today, just right off the bat, right out in the open, 
to just be open to the God who can do more than we can ask or imagine. All right, can we be open to that? And to kind of help us gain that posture, uh, there's a story that uh, my favorite living philosopher, at least uh, Peter Rollins tells, and it goes like this. Uh, there's a young man who is, was coming home from a long, hard day at work, and, and he's driving home from a, from a hard day at work, uh, and his wife calls him on the phone, and, and she's very concerned. And she says, dear, you, you've got to be careful on the road. Uh, I was just watching the news, and apparently there's some lunatic going the wrong way, full speed, down the freeway. And, and the husband shouts over the phone, and he says, sorry, love, I can't talk right now. There isn't just one guy going the wrong way down the freeway. There's hundreds of them. Yeah, all right. Now, hey, it's Christmas. You got to give me a pastor joke. All right. So, so that's start off there. Now, Rollins' point in telling the story, and what I love about this story is, is that the young man didn't even like possibly think that he could be in the wrong. Right? He didn't spend one minute considering that the way he saw things could be wrong. He just took it for granted that he was right. And so, Rollins, the philosopher, his point is this: that all too often we do this too. That all too often as people, we assume that our way is the way, that we've got it figured out. But what we see in our text is that if we're open to it, if we'd open our eyes, there's a God who does more than we can imagine. It's God who does more than we can even fathom. And what we see in our text from Luke is we see him work beyond our imagination as he brings joy for all people, gives a sign, and provides peace. All right, so that's going to be our outline tonight. We're seeing our text, God gives joy for all people, gives a sign, provides peace. All right, so let's get into it. There's joy for all people. Uh, look with me at Luke 2, 8 through 11. It says this, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. All right, so let's just notice a couple things about what we just read. Uh, so there's shepherds hanging out in a field. An angel shows up and says, Hey, I've got good news of great joy, and it's going to be for all people. Oh, what's the good news? There's a Savior that's been born Christ the Lord. All right, now what's significant about that? First of all, it's significant that an angel appears to shepherds. An angel appears to shepherds. See, if you were to read through the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, you'd see angels, they show up, it happens. And they always show up to really important people. Abraham, God see an angel. Moses saw an angel. Joshua saw angels. See, angels show up to leaders. They show up to prophets. But shepherds, man, Shepherds are on the bottom rung of the social ladder, right? These are blue-collar dudes that probably smelled pretty bad, probably said more than a couple bad words every single day, right? And the angel shows up to them that God first chooses to reveal the message about the birth of the Savior to these guys. That's what he chooses to do. This message of great joy for all people is first revealed to the shepherds. So I was uh, reading an article in The Atlantic this last week. Notice how I told you it was in the Atlantic. If it was in, like, People, I wouldn't have mentioned it. I was in an article this week. Anyways, uh, so I was, I was reading an article, in, and I'm wearing a tie. This is terrible. Okay, so anyway, so I read an article in the Atlantic, and, and it was titled, The Spiritual Crisis 
of the modern economy. The spiritual crisis of the modern economy. And and in this article, the author explores uh, the sort of contempt that much of the cultural elite has for the working class. And conversely, he explores much of the contempt that the working class has for the culturally elite. And, uh, And then he explores how much of that was heightened during this last election cycle. I don't know if any of you guys noticed that at all. Um, so it happened, right? Okay, so the author, who is himself an agnostic, he's not a believer, he says he believes that this contempt for one another between these classes uh, has arisen because of a spiritual crisis. Again, he's not a believer, but he says, I think it's a spiritual issue that in the face of, of a decline in religion in our country, we've become, because we don't have anything else to fall back on, we've become a meritocracy. Meritocracy which a meritocracy, for those of you who don't know what it is, that's where your worth and your value as a human being is determined purely by your abilities, determined purely by your ability to to output, to produce what you're capable of. You have to earn it. And so he writes this, in the absence of other sources of meaning, Americans are left with meritocracy, a game of status and success, along with the often ruthless competition it engenders. And the consequence of a perspective of self-reliance, Americans, compared to people in other countries, hold a particularly strong belief that people succeed through their own hard work, is a sense that those who fail are somehow inferior. Right? So he says this contempt has arisen because everyone says, you're only as good as what you produce, you're only as good as successful as you are. And he says, and so we hate the guy who's not like us. And then the author says, so I want to propose a solution. And his solution blows my mind. He says we need to rediscover grace. Listen to what he writes. The concept of grace comes from the Christian teaching that everyone, not just the deserving, is saved by God's grace. Grace in the broader sense that I, an agnostic, am using, however, can be both secular and religious. In the simplest terms, it is about refusing to divide the world into camps of deserving and undeserving as those on both the right and left are wont to do. And so he says, hey, this contempt, this contempt for one another that we have between us, that could all be put to rest if only there was a grace that leveled the playing field. He says, if, if only there was a good news that could be embraced by blue-collar shepherds and wealthy, overly educated wise men from the East. If only such a good news existed. Well, it does. We see it in our text. The good news is that God, in his grace, sent his son Jesus into this world, that Jesus is born, and hear this, for all people. He's born for all people. And I hope you caught that in the video we showed. A buddy of mine made that in Minnesota, and as soon as I saw it, I was like, we are doing that. Because as soon as they said all people in the text, did you notice all the different languages that got scrolled through? Right? It's awesome. Because Jesus is born for all people, rich, poor, smart, less than smart, black, white, male, female, gay, straight, Republican, Democrat, religious, irreligious, whether you recognize it or not, the good news of Christmas is that Jesus was born for you, for you, because he's born for all people. Now someone says, well, that's all well and good, Pastor. Sounds really nice. My heart's all full. Very positive message. Great. But, but how do we know that that's true? 
Like, how do we know there's anything to that, that this isn't just some myth that you religious people tell yourself so you can sleep at night? Well, bro, I got like 10 minutes, all right? So I can't go into all that, all right? But God gives us a sign. We can go into that. God gives us a sign. Look with me at verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, I love this. The angel's talking to the shepherd. And one would think, one would think that an angel showing up and saying, hey, a Savior's been born, Christ the Lord. You'd think that'd be enough for the shepherds to believe him, right? Like, I don't see angels every day. He tells me something, I'm just going to listen, right? You'd think that'd be enough. But the angel says, I'm going to do you one better. I'm not just telling you about the good news. The angel says, you can actually meet him. You can actually see the good news in flesh and blood, this little baby in a manger. See, friends, like this, this is the radical claim of Christianity. It's radical that in the person of Jesus Christ, that in this little baby that was born in a small town in first century Palestine, at the height of the Roman Empire, that he was actually born into history, actually born into this world, the same one we walk on, was in fact the creator God entering into our world. See, this baby is the sign that the good creator God hasn't given up on his creation. This baby is the sign that he's here for all people. For all people. There's this parable that's, that's common in a, in a few different uh, traditions. And the parable goes like this. Uh, there's six blind men. And uh, they were supposed to describe an elephant. And so they each, you, some of you have probably heard this. And so they each go up and they touch the elephant. You know, they're all blind. They go up and touch the elephant. But they all touch a different part of the elephant, right? And so one guy touches the trunk. And one guy touches the tusk. And one guy touches the leg. And one the tail. And one the side. And one the ear. And so when they all go to describe the elephant, because they can't see him, they're just touching a different part, they all disagree on what the elephant is, on who the elephant is, right? And so the point of the parable oftentimes is to say, ah, see, all religions are just basically the same, right? You're all just touching a different part of the elephant. That's what's going on. And I would totally agree with that, except for Christmas, except for Christmas. Because at Christmas, God causes the blind to see. And they can see the elephant for what it is. That the mystery is revealed. That the God of the universe has shown who he is. He's revealed who he is in this little baby born in Bethlehem. In the person of Jesus Christ. And you see, I said, like, this is why, have you ever noticed, this is why the Christmas story has such a surreal and supernatural quality to it and yet such a humble and human quality to it. Like it's these two worlds put together. It's like an otherworldly and natural world, like just come colliding together, right? So you got angels appearing, supernatural. You got shepherds, humble. You got a virgin birth, supernatural. You got the son of a carpenter, humble. You got a star guiding wise men, supernatural. You've got an inn with no vacancy, humble. It makes sense. It's supernatural within the most humble of circumstances, which makes sense because if you think about it, if God, God, were to become man, by definition, that's going to be supernatural. But if God were to become man, by definition, it's going to be the most human of experiences. And so here we have it. 
a sign from heaven. It's a baby in a manger. And let me tell you why this is such a good thing, friends. Here's why it's such a good thing. See, Jesus Christ as God incarnate means that God is not distant from you. Jesus Christ as God incarnate means that God is not distant from your sufferings, from your struggles, from whatever it is going on in your life, from what it is to be human. God's not distant from that. In Jesus, God gets it. He gets what it's like. Uh, I recently came across a story uh, about an 18th century Japanese poet named Isa. He's a really great poet. His haiku is kind of his, his main gig. And, uh, and Isa is this poet who had experienced great tragedy in his life. He had lost his wife and his five children. And every time he lost one of his loved ones, he'd go to the Zen master and say, what should I do? And every time the Zen master would give him the same condolence. Every time he'd say, remember, the world is due. The world is due. And so the point of the Zen master to him being, hey, due is transient and ephemeral, and therefore so is suffering and death. So don't get too attached to stuff. Don't get too attached to this world. Just transcend it. Don't go through the grieving. Don't go through the mourning. Just transcend it by not being too attached to things. And man, maybe that sounds good. Uh, but after his final child died, Isa went home from the Zen master after hearing these words again. Remember, the world is due. And he wrote one of his most famous poems. And translated, it reads, The world is due, the world is due, and yet, and yet. So the reality is, Esau, he couldn't escape his suffering. He couldn't just detach from saying goodbye to those he loves. And see, in Jesus Christ, in God incarnate, we don't have a God that says, hey, just transcend your suffering, just get over it. No, no, no. We have a God who can empathize with us who enters into it with you, who knows what it's like, who knows your suffering, who moves towards you in it. Here's my final point. See, when you get that, when you get that Jesus didn't just come for all people, though he did, when you get that Jesus isn't just a sign of the creator God, though he is, when you get that Jesus Christ came for you, like for you, you, and if you grab hold of that, man, you grab hold of the peace that he provides. You can discover the peace he provides. I promise you that. I promise you that. Look with me at verses 13 to 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so our story started with one angel talking to some shepherds, but then suddenly a whole host of angels show up and they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. On earth, peace. And that notion of peace on earth, right? We hear it a lot at Christmas, this idea of peace on earth, which is a very nice notion, uh, but it seems a bit far-fetched, right? It seems kind of crazy. Like, like if you just look back at the last couple weeks of headlines, right? We got terrorist attacks in Berlin, Aleppo falling. We've got our country internally continuing to polarize. This idea of God's peace that these angels are proclaiming seems pretty far-fetched. In fact, it, it reminds me of, of really Longfellow's probably most famous poem, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, uh, Christmas Bells, if you know it. And uh, he wrote that poem during the turmoil of the Civil War. 
And he wrote it in reflection of these words, peace on earth. And if you read through it, he's just saying, this peace on earth stuff is nonsense. I mean, just listen to the fourth verse. He writes this, In despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. But hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And as I was reading through this poem again this week, I was shocked at how fitting it is for our world right now. And so how can the angels say these words? How can the angels say these words? Peace on earth on those with whom his favor rests. How can they say that? You see, they can say that because they know of a greater truth, because they know of a greater hope, because they know of a greater peace. See, the angels say that because they know that God's great plan to redeem and restore this entire world to himself is beginning with that little baby in a manger. That he's the one who's going to bring peace. And first he comes to bring peace between humanity and its creator. That this baby grows up. And he goes to a cross. And he dies for the sins of the world. He dies for your sins. That as you trust in him, you can have peace with God. You can be made right with him. His favor can rest on you now and forever. But it gets better, actually. It gets better because Jesus rises again and he offers new life to you. And he says, hey, I'm going to be coming back and I'm going to set this world at peace once and for all. Things are going to be the way it was meant to be. I'm going to bring that peace. And he invites you into that. Let me close with this. Uh, last year I got the flu. Like super bad. Like I don't recommend it. Okay, If you're like, oh, maybe I'll try it this year, don't. Okay, It is, it is not fun. Uh, and, uh, and so I had the flu, and so, so this year, the Casper family, we wised up, and we all got our flu shots. Uh, now, my wife, just for you, Kirsten, uh, so she, they made several house calls. So anyway, so um, I'm kind of a wuss when I'm sick. Anyway, so we're moving along. Uh, so, so my wife was, was even smarter in that she went and got her flu shot by herself and left me to take our four-year-old and one-and-a-half-year-old to get their flu shots, Right? So we went this past week. I took my kids to get their flu shots this past week because, you know, I'm a pastor and it's Christmas week, so I'm not doing anything else. And, uh, and so, so we go. I'm not bitter. And so, so we go. And, uh, you know, of course, like, I, I wanted to be the, the first one. I want my kids to see that it's going to be okay, that dad's okay, you know, that, that you can get a shot. And I haven't had a shot in a while. And so I was like, I want to be sure that I know what my kids are going through, what the experience is going to be like for them. And so, so I went first. And so I go, and I got the shot, and they thought it was okay that dad didn't cry too much. And, uh, and so, so it was good. And then their turn came. And, man, I remember these, like, I, I was holding my son Titus, right? And I knew it was going to hurt. Like, I knew it was going to be painful. I knew he was going to cry. But I knew it was for his good. I knew that ultimately this was going to help him get through flu season and be okay. And gave him the shot, and he sobbed, started crying. And I just held him, held him, held him. And then my, my little baby daughter, Lila, one and a half, oh, holding her, you know, the boy's got it coming, right? But her, I was like, let's, <laughs> you know. And, um, and I'm holding her, and she has shot, and she just screams out in pain. I'm like, it's okay, baby. It's okay. It's okay. It's going to be all right. We're going to be okay. This is a good thing. This is going to work out. This is all going to work out. Listen, Jesus Christ came to this earth as God incarnate. It's a baby boy born to poor parents under the thumb of an empire. 
As he grows up, he's homeless. His family mocks him. His friends betray him. And finally, he's tortured and killed. Listen, every abuse that can be suffered by humanity, he's experienced it. He's taken the shot first. And he's come out the other end. Whatever you've gone through, whatever you're going through right now, understand, Jesus has taken the shot first. And he's come out the other end. And he promises peace, and he promises healing. He was crucified, died, and buried. And on the third day, he rose again. And because of that, he says to you, there's hope beyond suffering. There's grace beyond sin. There is life beyond death. There is real peace, and it's coming. And you're invited into that. You're invited to grab hold of that. And see, so this is why Longfellow... He doesn't end his poem with that verse I read earlier, with the fourth verse. He adds one more, and I love it. It's just bathed in hope. He says this. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. May we see that in our Savior Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming for us. Thank you for entering into our humanity, into this world. Thank you for coming to save us. God, I pray for each of my friends here that they'd celebrate the hope we have in you, that they'd celebrate the peace and the joy we have in you, that you've come for all people. Lord, don't let my friends tonight that are tempted to disqualify themselves and say, no, 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 God's grace isn't for me. Lord, don't let them do that. May they see your grace is real and it's for them. May we all grab hold of that this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.